I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show, where do you see AI affecting you and your colleagues' day? I don't think it's another step in this direction. Okay. I think it's a game changer, Got as it. big as the internet itself. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, along with producer Tracy Madigan. Today's guest is Barry Glassman. He's the founder and CEO of Glassman Wealth Services. But what's important about our conversation are some of the challenges that managing families' concerns, opportunities, and personal situations, number one. Number two, we talk about some of the challenges that our economy faces going forward. And there's some doozies that I think you want to hear from him. And lastly, we talk about the personal thing he does, which is he's a photographer. Hey, quick one, he's colorblind. Try that on for size. Here's our conversation. Barry, thanks for being with us. Nice to be with you. Okay, so first let's go to the history. You founded the firm 10 years ago. 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Yes. Just testing you. Um, and you came from a another wealth service or wealth management I did. firm? I, I worked for a short time for a major brokerage firm, and then for 15 years I worked for a, another local independent firm. And then in late 2009, shortly after the Great Recession, started up my own firm, Glassman Wealth Services. And you provide all the stuff that people of have to need. Fair uh, enough? I hope so. Yeah. Uh, what we try to do is we provide the wealth services that people need without conflicts of interest. We're not tied to a major brokerage firm. And what we pride ourselves on is having fewer clients per advisor yeah. so that each family is getting more and more time and attention and hopefully sophistication than than typically expected. You say family. I think it's it's obvious that serving a family can be far more complex than just managing somebody's stock portfolio. Oh, 100%. And we also have a mantra that the parents and kids of our clients are clients. Yeah. So a lot of our clients come in and they really wish that their adult children had someone to talk to about their their benefits package or their 401k or their mortgage. Uh, and we provide those services for them. You mentioned uh, a little bit earlier when we were chatting about a, a, a kind of a, a mindset that you and your colleagues put together, which is just one family. Walk us through how that works and what you do with your colleagues. Yeah, it's what we call the just one client mindset. And what we challenge ourselves with, I'm, I'm a big fan of just removing certain constraints so that there's narrow thinking or remove the constraints and there's just broad thinking. And in this example, what we do is we get together once a quarter, once a year and, and brainstorm what would we do if we had all the time in the world, all the resources at Glassman Wall Services, but we were only serving one family. Uh, we had time to attend the estate planning meetings. We had time to dive into the tax return. We had time to brainstorm other solutions. We had time for the kids and parents and dive into the insurance and all of the various aspects. And then what we're trying to do is apply using talent and te technology those kinds of principles, that kind of customization, personaliza personalization to as many clients as we can. So this clearly has worked, worked out, and I'll toot your horn. You were the number one place to work in the Washington Business Journal? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Way for to go. The, thank you. Thank you for the fourth time in, I think, eight years we got the number one in all of Washington. 
I shouldn't know this, but how, how do they, I mean, do they like ask your, ask employers or employees to vote? Is, is it an anonymous thing? How, how does that happen? It's anonymous and it's, they ask the employees uh, and the survey is, it's rigorous. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's in depth. And they they really do a good job weeding out companies who try to play the game or try to incentivize employees to just click off certain things. So free coffee doesn't work. It has it, to be, yeah. Free coffee helps. <laughs> but but so does tea yeah. and beer and cider yeah. and kombucha. What when did well, by the way, when did kombucha become a thing? Last Tuesday. Was it? It was yeah. it, I mean it's it's like I, I anyway, I, I don't drink it. Hey, Matt in our office drinks kombucha, and if he likes it and then votes us as best place to work, yeah. kombucha's working. He's like Mikey eating life cereal, right? Let, let Mikey eat it. And if Matt, okay, I, I like that. So we have lots to cover about the sort of the financial markets. I, I know some of it will be maybe bad news to, to our listeners because I think there's some some storm clouds on the horizon, but we'll save that for a little bit. But first, if I could just touch on AI. I spend a lot of time in technology. My career has been really in technology AI has been around a long time, as we know, but it's, you know, in the last 90 days, it's erupted as the thing to screw up our lives forever, destroy 40% of the workforce, change everything. I get it. I get it. And I, what I tell my, my colleagues and people that ask me, it's just the next chapter of what's been going on in AI for a long time. But in your arena of financial analysis, financial planning, the other uh, issues and and uh, and decisions that a family has to make about wealth management over the generations. Where do you see AI affecting you and your colleagues' day? So uh, let me go back to your comment because I don't think it's another step in this direction. Okay. I think it's a game changer Got as it. big as the internet itself. Huge. Um, the internet came out and we thought, well, we're going to use it for this thing called email and then we're going to be able to look up stuff and, yeah. and Microsoft will come out with an encyclopedia online. And meet people. This yeah. will be great. Oh, we'll meet people and see all of those things. And who knew what it was going to do? The internet created the backbone for all companies. You're more productive. Tracy's more productive. Everyone's more productive because the internet exists in our life. There are certain winners and losers from that, but that's it at its core. AI will be the same thing. Certain businesses will suffer because of it. But for the most part, the global economy is going to become far more productive, far more innovative because of AI. And those who are on the cusp of it and keep their eyes and ears open for it, you don't have to invent it today, but just be open to it and what it may create in your own niche within your industry. It's going to be really important. So you may or may not uh, pay attention to this podcast with my buddy Kara Swisher and her and her friend Scott Galloway, but uh, Scott Galloway said something I thought was pretty pithy, that AI won't destroy your job, but somebody who's good at AI will destroy your job. So yeah. I think the idea of getting, maybe this is your point, getting used to it, getting fluent in it, getting full understanding of the way it can be uh, applied to niches or to more, more broad stuff. But in your day-to-day or your colleague's day-to-day, what do you see it meaning to a member of, uh, of Glassman Wealth Services 24 months from today? Oh, this is, the, yeah, this is, this is exciting. And, and I'll tell you the one challenge, and we're, we're doing what we can to solve it. I see, for example, us being able to ask AI, you know, here's the new tax legislation that just came out in 2027. Here's my tax return. Tell me how this affects me. And, it, and AI will. Okay. And you can ask it, please tell it to, to me as a fifth grader so that I really understand it. You that would could be plug, my level, but thank you. And, yes. you, can pl- yeah, and yeah. you can plug in what ifs. What if this gets passed or what if that you can upload your tax return? This is just the tax return. Yeah. And, and what does this mean? Let alone in legal, 
where I think legal is one of the places it's going to be really disruptive. I agree. Um, but for you to take your entire net worth and so forth, share with me certain estate planning opportunities and write draft documents for me to have a professional review, that's coming in the next 12 to 24 months and, and um, specific by state. So I think those are going to be huge, let alone medical, um, yep. which, which I think is going to be transformative as well. So I agree. But again, sort of drilling down for portfolio management, if uh, one of your colleagues or fund manager at Fidelity or somebody, do you see their ability to analyze a broader swath of equities that they should be paying attention to, specific elements of a tight swath of equities that they're supposed to be paying attention to in, in their sector? Will that get deeper and better, or do you think they're going to be out of a job? Keeping in mind what you said earlier, as far as it's not the the AI putting you out of a job, it's the person yeah. using AI. Much like the bulldozer didn't put the person with a shovel out of a job, it's the person operating the bulldozer right. that, that did it. it. It will completely change. I don't think it puts the portfolio manager necessarily out of a job. That portfolio manager may not need the full bank of analysts who are analyzing spreadsheets when the portfolio manager can ask AI Tell me about stocks today that happen to fit this criteria. Got it. And it spits it out within seconds. Yeah. Or what AI will do is one step further, which is I'm thinking about this. Tell me about momentum strategies that have worked over the past three to five years. And AI will do that. So it will do it will take over the person doing a spreadsheet and it will take over the analyst who is thinking of those things in the first place. I concur. Walk me through how, in in your arena, how you successfully compete with Goldman Sachs Wealth Management and some of those other arenas. My knee-jerk is they're wedded to their platform and infrastructure on the things they tell you to buy, um, and you have a more you, – you and your teams uh, teammates have flexibility. But what are some ways that you win business when folks leave those giant mega bank brands? Yeah, and just keep in mind that uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily the firm – that is good or bad. There are great people at and, and challenge people not so great at, at various firms. Um, I think the difference with our firm is we take a more holistic approach. Got it. Um, the average broker on Wall Street that works for a major wirehouse may in fact have hundreds, if not over a thousand clients. Because um, you got to remember, not only do they have clients that they recruited, but when a broker leaves, all of those clients flow to the remaining brokers who are there. Right. So they have hundreds, if not a thousand clients. The average independent probably has 80 to 150 clients. At Glassman Wealth, we're now down to about 30 families per advisor. So we're able to do far more for each and every client. When you ask how I win the business, and you know, hopefully, you know, people a are, lot more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and hopefully a, hopefully a lot more. One of the questions I ask is when is the last time your advisor asked to see your tax return? And what's absolutely incredible and insulting to the industry is people who call themselves wealth managers or holistic planners never even ask to see an important imperative document that may guide the recommendations for what comes next. Wow. It's like doing surgery without getting an MRI, Yeah, it, in my opinion. So exploratory surgery, as they used, they used to call it. <laughs> okay, so 30 families per Per, uh, per per manager colleague in, in your in your arena, how do they personalize the experience? What what are some what are some of the magic sauce that they would bring versus those thousand client brokers that you mentioned before? Yeah, and this is uh, thank you for asking. It's what we dream about, which is if we have 
unlimited time, what would we do? And then how do we use talent and technology to achieve more and more of that? So a couple of, of examples. So let's say we're man- we are managing a portfolio for a client. Uh, he and she uh, happen to interpret data differently. He likes a one-page uh, dashboard. He gets that as CEO of XYZ. She's on the board of several uh, organizations, runs one, uh, and likes to see all the detail. We will customize their online dashboard that's updated every single day to give them the information that they need to feel comfortable and confident that they understand their investments. Um, so he may just want the one page and want the details in the background. She gets the details that she wants. Second, let's say we're, we have the time, for example, to dive into their philanthropy, to brainstorm ideas and, and think about ways for them to have an impact. And what the magical stuff, Mark, is when we involve the kids, the teenagers or the young adults in the family's philanthropy. So we'll attend those family, the family philanthropy meetings, we'll run those and so forth. And then lastly, every now and again for our clients, we get all of their advisors together in a room just roll up their sleeves and treat it like an MBA case study. And when you do that, we just did this recently for a client who owns you know, 50 franchises locally. And we had his two accountants, business and personal. Uh, we had the estate planning attorney. We had another attorney and all of you know, the financial advisors. And we're just objectively brainstorming strategies. The client loved it. And the thing is, you can't do that if you don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. It all makes sense. And uh, personalization is the game. I think there's Many versions of the banks that I mentioned before that that don't do that. Although my friends who are listening will probably come to my house and and uh, and throw paint on my front door. But it's what's working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We're talking with Barry Glassman. Barry is the founder and CEO of Glassman Wealth Services. When we return, some more conversations about the economy, the future. There's more after this. We want to put out a huge thank you to our listeners who put us in touch with some of the best voices in Washington, D.C. and the region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how businesses in the region are keeping us competitive. We talk to the brains in the nonprofit world, restaurant domain, and next-gen tech. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, here with producer Tracy Madigan. We are really excited to have, once again, in the studio with us, Barry Glassman. Barry is the founder and CEO of Glassman Wealth Services. We're going to talk about the economy and where that's going. But I'm interested, you mentioned some of the stuff you're doing with um, uh, higher education, particularly HBCUs. I have spent a lot of time, spilled a lot of blood in the mud, uh, they say, 
in financial literacy for young adults as they leave colleges. I would argue it is stupendously too low. And you see that not only in professional athletes, for instance, as a, as a classic subclass that has often disastrous lack of financial literacy, but I just think people coming out of colleges, no matter what their status could, community college, HBCUs, the best colleges in America or the most prestigious uh, uh, colleges in America, they really don't understand how the financial world works. What are some of the things you see and how are you hoping to address it? Well, uh, this all stems from, you know, I happen to speak at conferences, especially in financial planning and wealth management. Um, and as you can only imagine, uh, the crowd at these conferences is very homogeneous and not a lot of diversity. And in, in, in my close to 30 years in this business, nothing's changed. Um, and I'm frustrated by it. Um, so what we did was we went and explored. We asked a lot of questions. We spoke to the, uh, the diversity chairs at major brokerage firms, at the Financial Planning Association, the uh, American Academy of African-American Advisors, uh, a, a whole variety. And, and what we did was we went on a year quest to listen and find out what can we do to change the trajectory of the face of and the faces who show up at these conferences. And what we found was that uh, we need to dive into the financial planning programs at HBCUs, help educate students that this program exists, support those programs, mentor the students and give them internship opportunities and kind of nudge our colleagues to give them internship opportunities, and then mentor them after they graduate because there's a, a big uh, hurdle of a lot of these kids who enter the industry and then don't stick with it. And so we have kind of a 10-year plan to uh, uh, sponsor these programs. Right now we're, we're sponsoring Delaware State and we're, we have, uh, we're kickstarting something at Howard University locally. They have a new financial planning program that will lead to a certified financial planner designation. And we're gonna do whatever we can to get them comfortable, confident, and launched in the industry. I would also hope that someday the graduate of University of Maryland or the graduate of Johns Hopkins or Georgetown are more financially literate when they leave the school. Clearly, McDonough Business School, they pumped up. But, you know, the French poetry major at uh, Syracuse or whatever, I, I still think there's a big gap. So one of the mandates of the financial planning program is while they're going through the program is to spend time educating not only the other students, but the students' parents as well. Nice. Uh, so they're giving back to the community, uh, both at, at the colleges as well as or in the neighboring community as well. That's the voice of Barry Glassman. Barry is the founder and CEO of Glassman Wealth Services here in the Washington, D.C. area. He's our guest on what's working in Washington. So let's get to the market, because obviously you and your colleagues pay a lot of attention to it, as you should for your clients I'm in the venture capital world, and it's very hard to raise venture capital money now. A lot of the companies that were worth X are now no longer worth X. Some of them had visions of sugar plums dancing in their head for far too long because money was, as you know, swimming around uh, both venture and private equity. Where's your sense of valuations today versus six months ago? What's, what's your sense of a trend? So, well, the trend is down as far as valuation. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yeah. Higher interest rates going from zero to where they are today uh, valuations have to come down because the cost of capital has gone up, but also the opportunity cost um, is out there as far as what r the risk-free rate of a six-month treasury happens to be. But what I'm seeing is really it, it's not an all-tide lifts or sinks all boats. Yep. I think right now it's more company by company, sector by sector, region by region, even neighborhood by neighborhood 
is what's succeeding and failing. And uh, just as an example, you know, I, I would not have thought that, let's see, we are mid-2023 and green energy valuations have come way down. Mm-hmm. But fast casual restaurant valuations have jumped. Jumped. So it's certainly not a universal approach. And there are certain cities where the valuations are, and I'm not talking about the extremes where crime and and so forth and and companies are pulling out, but generally certain cities, their valuations are really coming down, the buildings and such. Uh, But others, they're holding up and still booming. So I I think the, the trend right now, it's a company by company, sector by sector, neighborhood by neighborhood. What's your sense of government spending? Clearly, the federal government has, for instance, President Biden has, is talking about uh, uh, high bandwidth communication for all Americans and stuff like that. These are infrastructure plays. Are you seeing those those dollars having an overall impact in a sector or in other arenas? Well, it's certainly helping the industrials. Yeah. Because any one of those things, you need to dig up stuff in order to build it. Got Whether it. Shovel it's ready. Con- yeah. yeah. Well, that's another, that's another, <laughs> that's another issue. Sector, that's yeah. another issue. Yeah. Uh, but you, you got to dig in order to do it. So so the digging companies are doing well with that. The challenge is, you mentioned shovel ready. Just because the government passes something, the challenge is it takes so long for something to get done. And a lot of times it actually doesn't get done a- at all. So yes, if they pass some sort of broadband or something like that, that'll be, that'll be great. It'll be nice and it'll help the, the economy. You got to find the workers. You got to be able to afford the workers and as well as the new construction costs with inflationary figures as well. Well, I, I believe it would help the overall economy. I don't know how quickly it would happen or uh, how long of an impact, how long it would take for an impact to, to take place. I used to work at the SBA for the end of the Obama administration, and I saw recently that they now assert that of the COVID relief programs, some of your, you know, a lot of people took advantage of them. Some of the companies that are run by your clients probably did too. $250 billion in, in, in fraud. Big number. Yeah. Of course, that was asking, to your point, on taking a long time, that was asking a government agency that is that was pretty thoughtful on how they handed out SBA loans to accelerate and, and increase by a factor of 30 yeah. the number of dollars they handed out. So, gee, what a, what a shock that fraud so, might have occurred. So we're an outlier in that, by the way. And okay. this is the first that I'm actually saying it publicly. We got PPP money. We gave it back. Good. We actually didn't keep it. We realized that we needed to sign a form that uh, we sensed would become public. The SEC would look at it and such, that we needed this money in order to survive. And we didn't. So we actually didn't ask for forgiveness. Mazel tov. We, mazel tov. Uh, I don't think any of my peers did the same. <laughs> yeah, but, right, uh, right. No, we really thought it was the right thing to do, and we gave it back. What are the two major concerns, one or two major concerns you have going forward on the U.S. or a global economy? Sure. This is easy. One's one's uh, a business and the other's personal. Uh, commercial real estate. Yep. There's a lot of debt coming due at lower rents, higher costs of capital, and that's going to be a significant challenge over the next three years. Big number. Uh, $1.5 trillion nationally yeah. over the next three years. And then on the personal side, student loan debt payments are going to restart this year. I think people are underestimating the impact this is going to have on what uh, mostly younger people are going to be able to do. And I think that while they'll make their student loan payments, I think a lot of it's going to wind up on credit cards. I completely agree. And Barry, let's talk about you personally. You have a fascinating hobby, which collides with a fascinating, not fascinating, but a physical condition of yours, colorblindness. What's the hobby and how do you 
fit that into being colorblind? So uh, I've been an avid photographer since age five, and I've been colorblind, really badly colorblind since birth. BarryGlassman.net. Go to the website to see his stuff. It's incredible. You're going to blow. You're going to blow up my my photography yeah. website. Huge. Oh, thanks. Uh, so uh, what I think is, um, I think my photography excels in other ways because I can't see color. I'm not distracted by the color. So I do more sports. I'm doing action. I'm doing nature. Right. And I'm able to mix the kind of the art with the science and and create some some fun images. Well, on your site, you do have some incredible sports stuff. Uh, obviously, it seems like you like basketball because you have many NBA stars, usually in very interesting positions. Like you catch them not just you know shooting for the for the winning shot, but almost more um, when they're really out of their zone. Like you have one of LeBron looking looking like you just got very bad news. How do you do that? What are you courtside? What what do you do? Number one is. Anyone can get the shot. Yeah. So, so when you're shooting, for example, in baseball, the swing, everybody gets the swing. Right. Um, anyone can get somebody shooting, and no one knows if that's the game winner or not. What we look for is the celebration or the reaction after. Certain players are great. Steph Curry smiles all the time. LeBron smiles. Yeah. John Wall smiled. Yeah. Kevin Durant is terrible to shoot. He shows no emotion except when he disagrees with a foul. Foul. And he smiles at the ref. Got it. So you got to pay attention to and know the nuances of each player. I love it. You got Big Poppy breaking a bat, as I recall, one at one of the great great shots. Right place, right time, yeah. right experience, right equipment. Yep. Okay, so we end the show uh, with asking our guests the following question, Barry: If you ruled the world, literally ruled the world, <laughs> what's one thing you would start having to, uh, start happening that isn't today? Or one thing you would stop happening that is and concerns you? Uh, healthcare is really important. Yep. Uh, period. I, I think that proactive healthcare, preventative healthcare, as well as in critical situations, the fact that so many Americans, let alone people around the world, don't have access and it's unaffordable. Um, and the idea that if you get sick, you can actually go so much into debt that you declare bankruptcy, I think is a crime. If I were to wave a magic wand, I would fix that. It's what twenty five percent of the GNP or something insane. The the, the healthcare system. It's the, a big number. The, the cost is one issue. Yeah. The access and the fact that it can bankrupt families, and, and, you know, is is such a is such a crime that that's if you would ask me one thing, I would change that. Well, I let, really, let people live happier, longer lives, and I think the whole world would benefit. I completely agree. But and, and there'd be more people listening to this podcast. That is the whole goal of this whole question. Barry Glassman has been our guest. Barry is the founder and CEO of Glassman Wealth Services. It's what's working in Washington. Barry, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. Keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.